Everybody that loves the Lord, say amen. amen. Go to Hebrews and the 10th chapter. Hadn't the Lord been good to us? Amen. Hebrews and the 10th chapter. Lord God, we're thankful for Calvary. We're thankful for Jesus sent from the Father. We're thankful for the Holy Ghost being sent unto us. Thank you that you sent the gospel to us. Thank you that you sent a Bible to us. Thank you that you sent the local church into our lives. Our Father, I pray on this Monday morning that you would, we ask you to breathe on us this week. Our Lord, I ask you two things for this meeting. I pray that you would answer the prayers of this pastor. Lord, what you've put in Brother Gravely's heart to pray for this week. Lord, would you answer those prayers? You and him, the only one knows what they are. Answer those prayers. And on a secondary note there, Lord, answer the prayers of his men and women that have been praying at Bible Baptist. And then, Lord, we ask you secondly to answer, answer Jesus' prayers. What he's prayed for for this, what he's wanting, what he's asking for. What the Son is asking the Father for in this meeting. Oh God, grant it, I pray. Now, Lord, in the next little while, touch thy servant and help me to fulfill my role in this meeting on this part of the day and this part of the week. Help me, I pray, and I love you for it in Jesus' name. And all the Lord's people say it. Well, I looked around this morning, I seen so many young people. We've got piles of young people and a few old people. (laughs) I guess everybody else is working or traveling. So if y'all want to, we can talk about everybody before they get here. That'd be, we can go ahead and get that out of our system. That's part of camp meeting is we can get that out of our system. We'll just talk about them before they get here. And then when they get here, we'll shake their hands and say, we've been praying for you. I want you to look in Hebrews 10. The Lord's put this in my heart in recent days. We'll just do a simple Bible study this morning. And Brother Gravely, what I was thinking uh, as I was sitting there and just as an evangelist looking around the meeting and seeing scores of young people here, what I was thinking was this. and I think, I think we understand, and we've got to be careful with our spirit, every one of us. But I think we understand that God's raised up a great meeting here. Can I get a witness right there? This is going to be the, one of the great Bible preaching meetings of your generation. And you know what I thought? This is a preaching meeting, it seems. And it's God's meeting. It can be whatever God wants it to be. But it's a preaching meeting, year in and year out. And the Lord is letting all, he's raised up this meeting uh, for these youngins. A man talked to me yesterday about Rocky Face Bible Conference 
over in Rocky Face, Georgia, and Brother Blue will be a little familiar with this, and not many others will be. But when I was a little boy, uh, amen, that's where the preachers gathered. There were, other, there were rocky acres, and there was this one and that one. But for me, in, in this area, that's where Daddy carried me as a boy. And uh, that's where I looked up on the platform and saw the halo, saw Moses in the glory. Oh, y'all got to help me. I, age limit don't mean you can't help a preacher. The old people are too tired to say anything. You youngins got to help me. The preachers will be here tonight. They'll, they'll be hollering about all kinds of stuff. But I sat over there, and I was a boy. That's when I seen our old pastor, uh, Brother Dorsey. I was playing on, looking on, I wasn't playing so much as looking under the pew. There were four preachers running around the old brush arbor. There's two just running, we lost track of them. And our old pastor, Brother Roy Gentry, was down in the sawdust, Brother Gravely, and he was doing a low crawl through there preaching on the line of the tribe of Judah. There is so much God and so much glory. They didn't even nobody know where the preacher had went. The power of God was all over the place. And he was doing a low crawl, and he was roaring the line of the tribe of Judah. And I was just a little feller, and sitting back there and looking under them pews and he looking at me under, and me and running and said, the glory of God on the church. The glory's always on the bride. You understand that, don't you? Or the bridegroom. And looking back and seeing him roar. And, that, and those days dropped, they dropped some anchors down in my soul. <laughs> and I'm looking at a generation that don't have any answers. How are you going to answer this generation? I'm in Uganda and I'm in Albania and in other places. One of our missionaries to England is here. Stand up, Brother Rob Smith. Going to England, going back to a demon-possessed country. He's on our World Harvest Baptist Missions Board. Roger, to- Roger Tooley's first preacher boy right there. Going back. Thank you, Brother Rob. Going back. Now, what are you going to tell all them skinhead, heavy metal, tattooed up, demon-possessed? Europe was done with God after the 1900, and the Lord came over here to send us revival. What are you going to tell them? What are you going to tell them Ugandan orphans? What are you going to tell them Albanian kids? Human trafficking, black market for human organs. I want to say something to you youngins while you're sitting here. You ought to just by faith rear back and for some of you to be the first time. But this week, somewhere in here, you ought to rear back. And you youngins ought to praise God. Not your mama, not your daddy, not your pastor, not your youth preacher, not your older brother, sit you. You ought to rear back and thank God that you ain't wearing a towel around your head, a veil over your face, youngins. You hear me, youngins? By faith. By faith. You ought to be glad that you ain't got a scar down your back where they took your kidney, sold it to a rich man, showed up with a bag of money. You don't live in a country where they take your kidneys. Most of them, they take their heart and their lungs and they just bury them out back without a marker. That's Albania. You ought to thank God 
that you girls ain't a piece of property going to be traded off like a dog or like a goat and wear a black robe with a black veil and the world never see nothing but your eyes and your eyes never see the world because you was born in a Muslim country. Treated like a dog and then abused like a dog. Do you know what Muslim countries, and I, there's young ones here, I'll be careful, but uh, oh my. They rape, and they, I, I'm not even going to tell the stories. Youngins, and I'll tell you something else. While you're here, you ought to thank God that you're in here. My granddaddy, not the saved preaching one. My mama's daddy is an old-time country mountain preacher. Overalls and, and circuit-riding churches, and they paid him with vegetables and meat, and he'd get him a little help occasionally. To help, but it, uh, he was an old country preacher. But I had another grandpa, and, and Brother Kate told me before he went to heaven, Brother Kate, my grand, before Brother Kate got saved, Brother Berman, they run the sidewalks and the streets of Rossville. They wasn't serving God, drinking, carousing, cursing, fighting, kicking. And uh, not too far from us, folk. Now, thank God, Brother Berman, Kate got saved, made a preacher. And my daddy's daddy, he didn't, he didn't get saved, he died. But I want to say something to you. I preach about six churches up and down Rossville Boulevard. And every time I turn into a church, I remember that my grandpa was here and he was turning into a bar. Right not within two miles of you, there's youngins that don't know who their daddy is. Youngins that, don't, that wish they didn't know who their mama was. Right, right over there in Rossville, there's kids. They're being as mistreated as they are in Albania and Uganda, beaten and kicked and stomped, treated worse than a dog. And somewhere in here this week, you youngins ought to just rear back by faith and, and give, God, give God praise. You ought, to, you ought to determine to do it. You say, well, do I have to feel something to praise God? You ain't got to feel something, you just got to believe something. I ain't never seen where feelings had much to do with this. I have been there when that joy got unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, y'all ain't helping me on a Monday morning. I have been to where that joy got unspeakable and full of glory. Run through me like red, hot, molten lava. Help me now. That may or may not take place. That's irrelevant. You ought to thank God by faith that you're inside a church. You got a Bible in your hand. Amen. You got, you got a mama or a daddy that cared enough for you to be in a place like this. Some of you got a mama and a daddy that cared enough for you to be in a place like this. Amen. God put you in a church somewhere that thought it would be a priority to be in a meeting like this. This will be one of the greatest preaching meetings of our generation. And that's what I was thanking God for. Youngins will grow up in here, knowing what it's like to be, they'll grow up in this meeting, knowing what it's like 
to be in the presence of the Word of God when it's manifested, when it's preached. Well, I bless the Lord. I can't even say hello and introduce myself in 30 minutes, but I, I look at Hebrews 10. That I got no Having problem. a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Uh, hand me my, here it is. I better pull this study out. I want you to look here beginning in verse 1 and verse 2. And uh, there is a message here that would be much more appropriate when the place is filled with preachers on pilgrims' progression. Pilgrims' progression. And I don't feel led to go into that this morning. But you can circle some things. And to begin in verse 1, there is a group. Every time I found a group coming out of Hebrews 9. And the reason I'm coming out of Hebrews chapter 9 is because Hebrews chapter 9 got more blood in it than any other chapter in the Bible. Except for Leviticus 17, that Old Testament chapter where they go behind the veil. I'm glad I've got a priest who's went behind the veil. Now, just for sake of your study, your notes, Leviticus 17 is the chapter in the Old Testament where the high priest on the great day of atonement goes behind the veil. Hebrews chapter 9 is the New Testament equivalent, and that's where our great high priest, I felt me a happy bubble right there, went behind the veil. Can I get a witness? And there's more mentions of blood. There's 12 mentions of blood in Hebrews 9. There's 13 mentions of blood in Leviticus 17. And so the blood chapter in the Old Testament is the number, the number 13 sticks out. That's the number of rebellion. And then in Hebrews 9, there's the number 12 sticks out. And that's, that's a better number than number 13. <laughs> Twelve's the number of God's divine government. It's twelve tribes, twelve apostles, twelve gates, twelve foundations. I could keep going. It's the number of God's divine government. Can I stop and say, thank God in the New Testament, Jesus took over. Gathered up our rebellion and thank God for grace that was greater than our sin. He took care, the blood conquered it all. Now, I come out of chapter 9, and I come in to 10 and 12, so we're coming out of a place. I don't want to talk about Hebrews much. We kind of should need to, to get an understanding of the grasp of what's going on here. The writer of Hebrews probably was Paul, unless it was Luke, unless it was Apollos, unless it was somebody else we don't know but probably Paul. The writer of Hebrews did something there that no, he carried the Jews 
where no one ever dared carry them before. The writer of Hebrews took them first century Jews behind the veil. Can I get a witness right there? Behind the veil. Well, when you come out of there, you'll see some things that the blood did for us. Now, I'm not gonna look at Pilgrim's progression, even though that's a beautiful study. But I wanna look at Pilgrim's praise. Do you notice in verse two where it said that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. I wanna take that little phrase, the worshipers, and talk about what's making all these folks worship. Amen. Let's talk about where the blood brought us and what the blood brought us. All right, I got one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven, seven or eight things here that I wanna run in front of you for just a moment and we'll honor the time allotted to us. Watch this. In verse one, let's just make this simple. We're worshiping and thanking God because the blood brought us a pathway. Would you look in verse one? He said it'd make the comers thereunto perfect. Well, I'm gonna stop and say something. I'm gonna tell you, this is how you get saved by coming to Christ. I need a little more help than that because there's a lot more confusion about it than that. This is how you get saved. You get saved by coming to Christ. Now somebody said, I didn't know him, but he knew me. I didn't know where he was, but he knew where I was. And thank God, that is some folks' testimony. They didn't even know how to get to God, but the Lord came to them. Well, I want to make a little announcement. He came to all of us. When he came to earth, when he came into time, when he came to Calvary, he came to all of us. Now, there is, there is that somebody sitting over there in jail and sitting over there raised in hell's angels. And they'd tell you that he came to me. But not everybody's raised with hell's angels. Some folks are raised with heaven's angels. Look at these little guys right here. They get smaller. Was this a pecking order that was established before the... They, they get, and over it, Brother Laddie, what are you doing up here with all the, there's Brother Laddie. And they get smaller as they go down. Well, these little fellas right here, thank God they don't know what it is to be raised around hell's angels. They're raised around something better. It's called heaven's angels. Amen. Some folks is raised around amazing grace, a shouting mama, amen, a praying daddy an old-timey church. And see, these youngins here, they know where Jesus is. They've been told. They know to come to him. They know how to come to him. They know to come to him. And I'm gonna tell you something. Whether you came to him or he came to you, he came to all of us, and all of us have got to come to him. Them comers. And I wanna say, thank God. I'm glad that God made a way where we could come to the Lord. Amen. Listen, in our old-fashioned camp meeting circles, if we're not careful, we will overemphasize conviction to the point to where all of our young people live in confusion. Well, you didn't have to like that, but I said it, and I'm going to say it again. We can overemphasize conviction until all of our young people live in confusion. And they get saved every camp meeting. Boy, it's done got... Mm. Get saved every summer. 
Y'all ain't helping me. God is not the author of confusion. My daddy had a dramatic, old-fashioned Damascus Road, actual lightning and thunder and a washed-out bridge. He had a dramatic conviction experience. But mine was kind of like this. I was sitting in a church right there just like that. And a man preached on hell and I got so tore up I took two steps forward and called on the Lord. Nobody shouted, nobody ran. Afterwards, I was outside kicking gravel with the other kids and throwing rocks in the trees, feeling a little not sure what all had happened. Go ahead and look at me like that. It'll help you. If the Lord hadn't called me to preach so powerfully, I'd have doubted my salvation a time or two. I knew I was called to preach so good, I was pretty sure I was saved. <laughs> You'll have to fix this the rest of the week, Brother Gravely. Sorry about that. Just being an evangelist. Huh? Let me tell you something, neighbor. Conviction does have its place. You better believe it. Repentance has its place. You better believe it. Faith has its place. You better believe it. But let me tell you why you got saved. Because Jesus came to you. Let me tell you how you get saved. You come to him. You, you get in there somewhere and it'll work out pretty good. Can I get a witness right there? Amen. The last, the last page of your Bible says it three times. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And, and John said, unto you to come. Whosoever will, let him come. And he that is a thirst, let him come. Thank God for the gospel simplicity and the gospel invitation. If you'll come to Christ, he has sworn in his own blood that he will receive you. If you was chewing bubble gum and giggling and coming down the aisle with 10 other people, you wasn't coming to Christ. We all understand what playing games are. We're not talking about that. We're talking about somebody that's got enough faith and repentance. You say, tell me about faith and repentance. Don't really need to. It's a matter of the heart. You don't understand faith and repentance. You stand under faith and repentance. Where's faith? If you were coming to Christ, there was something in you enough that believed he was there, believed he wanted you. That was enough. Even if it was a grain of mustard seed, that was enough. If you were coming, you believed he was there and you believed you needed to. What about repentance? If you were coming, your heart softened up enough to run to him. Now, I know that rich young ruler ran and then he held on to his money. But honey, if you were coming and you were believing and you had enough contrition and softness in your heart, if you ever came to Christ, he took you. Mm. I'm glad you could see it's in verse one. There's a pathway. And our priest opened up the veil. The veil was running twain from the top to the bottom. Number two, I'll tell you why these worshipers are worshiping. Look in verse two. There is a purging. Mm, thank God for it. Not only is there a pathway to the Lord, but there was a purging. Mm, boy, this deserves an hour of preaching all by itself, this little fella right here. 
What got purged? Well, my record got purged in heaven. My rottenness got purged in my soul. And his remembrance of my sins got cleared out. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Amen. I'm glad I went ahead and signed my own Bible. That felt pretty good right there. Thank God there's a purging. You didn't feel your justification. You wasn't nowhere near it. Your justification, the moment you came to Christ, yonder in another world, in the courtroom where the judge sits, God pulled your books and your accounts. God struck a bloody gavel, looked like a cross, amen. Struck it over your record book and immediately yonder in glory, all of your old account was washed away. And something else was put in its place. All of your sins were taken away and all of his righteousness was placed right there. And yonder in glory, you've been justified. <laughs> Your sins are gone. Amen. From the, big, from the first moment of conception till your last breath, he's done gathered up everything that would ever got you in trouble with a thrive. He's done been to the end of your life. You ain't been there, but he's been there. All of your sins are gone. You didn't feel your justification, but you felt your regeneration. When the Holy Ghost took that hyssop brush of blood and run it through your soul and purged you. Woo! I've heard two comments in my years. When somebody gets saved, this is my 37th, 38th year of preaching. God called me as a little boy and I got started early. And I've heard two comments more than any other. Think about it, preachers. You'll probably agree with me. Oftentimes, they'll come up out of that and they'll say, Ooh, I feel so clean. I feel so clean. And the other one is, I feel so light. That's because your sins were blotted out. Your sins were blooded out. Your sins were blighted out. Amen. Gone, thank God. Your record was purged. Your rottenness was purged. And in his remembrance of it, all right, I'm going to point out two more things just stating right here. I got, got the two points. That, that ain't bad, Brother Graham, either. From that ain't too bad. Let's talk about, look at John 13, 10. Look at it. Let's talk about being purged for a minute. About being clean. I'm looking, I want you to see one word, wit. This is the Lord's Supper. This is the Last Supper. The Lord, our Lord, that, the, the preachers were fussing about their thrones. Preachers tend to do that from time to time. Right. Me and Brother Brown and Brother Gravely don't do it, but we notice those that do and we talk about them sometimes, <laughs> every once in a while. The preachers were talking about their thrones. Let me, oh, heavens. God, I went, you tell the preachers when they all get here that they ought not be doing that, talking about their thrones. The preachers were talking about their thrones. Of course, now one preacher wasn't John. John just crawled over and laid his head on the bosom of Christ. And then our Lord got tired of all them boys and their egos and their pride and they somehow they thought this, the kingdom was about them. Yeah. There's only one throne that matters. Right. And our Lord went and got a basin and the water and began to wash the feet. And if you'd have walked by that door, somebody told you that night, hey, there's a king in that room. 
you'd have wanted to go by and see that king and you'd have walked by and put, peeked your head in. You'd, you'd have come out and said, I didn't see a king, but I saw a servant. Remember the towel message Brother Brown preached? No, I didn't see a king, but I saw a servant because that's what the servants did. They, they, whoo, they washed the feet. By the way, when Jesus was down there washing feet, he was washing these same feet that he knew within 12 hours would all run off and leave him. Even John, the beloved. I'm quoting the King James. It's the only one you can quote. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. That's what it said. Even John. Hey, even the best amongst us ain't good. Even the best amongst us ain't no good. I wonder. I wonder. Brother Blue, I've been thinking this about the last three years. You tell me what you think about it. I wonder if the Lord, he knew. He done told them, tonight the shepherd's gonna be smitten. And the sheep will be scattered. Yes. I wonder if he's putting something on them feet where they wouldn't go too far. Amen. <laughs> I wonder if he's putting something on them feet that night where they'd make it back pretty quick. They all got back pretty quick. Amen. That's right. They got back pretty quick. Woo! Honey, when you belong to him, you can't go too far. Right. There that night he was a washing their feet. Simon Peter there, he was bipolar, schizophrenic, manic, depressant. I, I mean, he had every bit of it and some extra stuff. Ain't you glad they didn't have antidepressants back then? We wouldn't. He'd have just looked at them two keys and drooled on them all the time. God meant for you to have hills and valleys. God, God said in Deuteronomy, it's a land of hills and valleys. He can't take you that high until he takes you that low. Y'all ain't helping me. Amen. Simon Peter just drooled on them keys if he'd have lived in 2018. But old Simon Peter, he, he's, he's, I mean, he's just a mess. Not so, Lord. He was trying to, he loved the Lord. He didn't feel like he was worthy for the Lord to do that. He said, no, Lord, not. And then Jesus said, you better let me wash you. If I wash you not, you have no part with me. Well, here come the bipolar. He went from, you'll never, <laughs> you'll never wash my feet. Two verses later, not just my feet, but my heads and my hands. Drown me, Jesus, drown me. That'd make a good country song or a church song, depending on if you're in North Carolina or where you're at, but... Drown me, Jesus, drown me. Get it all. And then the Lord said something. Are y'all looking at verse 10? The Lord said, I don't need to wash you. I've already washed you. You're already clean. You're clean every whit. Here's the difference in salvation and sanctification. The Lord said, I done cleaned you, son. You're clean. We're just getting the dust knocked off your feet that you picked up out there in the world. There ain't no sin left in you. There might be some on you. There might be some on you, but there ain't none in you. Y'all ain't helping me. The word whipped. Done me a word study. You're clean. Here's how clean the Lord makes you. You're clean every whit. Had to do me a little word study. 
because I didn't know what wit meant. <laughs> That'd be the time to get a dictionary. <laughs> Call three fellows that actually studied Greek when they were in it. <laughs> wit. Y'all ready? I memorized it for all you bad that are rocking and rolling and worrying about and tormenting yourself, haunting introspection, as Leonard Ravenhill called it. Does the Lord really love you? Has he really saved you? Are you forgiven? Quit. Every smallest particle imaginable. When you whittle something, Brother Nathan, you, you, you shave it until it's gone. Whittle it away. The word white. Remember Brother Dana preached on the colors several years ago out of Ezekiel. Sister Kate stood up and rejoiced that morning and the colors in our life. And Brother Dana taught us that white is not a color. It's wit. Wit with an E. There is no color. There's no color there. A whetstone. The whet is to grind it away. And Simon Peter said, I've, the Lord said, I've already washed you, son, and here's how clean you are. When I washed you, I got every smallest particle. And the Lord knew you'd have a lot of stuff. Some of you worry so much about your standing with the Lord. And there's sins not even in your life, but they're in your mind. You think they're, you think something. And he'd got every smallest particle imaginable. He even went in your imagination and cast them down. And I've washed you with stuff that you ain't even dirty with. Every smallest particle imaginable. Now you go over there where David was getting his sins washed. Psalm 51. And what did he say? Wash me and I shall be what? Whiter than snow. Whitter. We've taught this. It's been preached much in our old-fashioned circles. You've heard this. Maybe some of you's first time in church. A snowflake at the heart of every snowflake is a particle of dust. That's how it becomes snowflake. Particles of dust floating to some moisture. It gives moisture something to cling to. The moisture becomes a drop. gets so cold up there, it crystallizes. <laughs> you never knew what the sound of a snowflake being born sounded like. Now you know. That's the Monday morning freebie. And if you was up there in a whole snowstorm, think how loud that it would have been, a whole bunch of... But if nobody's there to hear the tree fall, was there a sound? I don't know. These things keep me up at night. Why do we park in the driveway and drive in the parkway? I just don't know. And then the snowflake is too heavy and it comes floating down and it lands and there's nothing more white Nothing more beautiful, nothing more dazzling than the sun to rise on a virgin snow and strike it and 10 trillion dazzling diamonds will blind you. That's how white it is. But you know at the heart of every snowflake in there is a particle of dirt. And David said, Lord, if you'll wash me, I'll be whiter than snow because you get every smallest particle imaginable. I'm going to tell you why worshipers worship because there's a pathway that's been made to come to God and then there's a purging. He'll purge your record. He'll purge your rottenness. He'll even deal with his own remembrance. I got one minute. I want to show you one thing. Go to chapter 6 verse 10. 
want you to underline this. Hurry, I'll be done in 45 seconds. Watch me drink water. I mean, turn to your verse, chapter 6, verse 10. I want you to draw a line. For God is not unrighteous to forget. What about that? Look in chapter 8, verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Won't you draw a line between them two verses? And I want you to understand one of the most blessed promises in the gospel covenant is this. When you get saved, there are some things that God has sworn he'll never forget. And there are some things that God has sworn he'll never remember. You know what he done, Brother Gravely? He said, I'll never forget the things you've done for me. You're going to forget most of them. Go ahead and softly play. He'll ne- he said, I'll never forget the things you've done for me. And I'll never remember the things you've done against me. If you'll draw a line from that one to the other, that you serve a God who'll never forget your service and he'll never remember your sin. Well, that ought to give somebody a happy bubble in here. My, my, my. Well, there's plenty more in Hebrews 10, Hebrews 9. But you get in there and find out what the Lord's done for you. I'm going to pray and turn it over to the pastor. pastor wants me to give an altar call. Bow your heads. Here's what I'd like to say to you, youngins.